You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. It's the same innate desire that God has placed within you. There's always going to be a hole. There's always going to be something missing, which will never be filled until you come into a meaningful relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. There'll always be something missing in your life. You can be sure of that. You'll never feel complete. You'll never feel satisfied, you know? It's only until you come through that meaningful relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. As Pastor Mike teaches on the Tower of Babel today, he remarks that we all have an innate desire for worship. This desire comes from God and is meant to lead us to worship the true and living God. However, throughout every generation, people have turned from God and worshipped other things. This was the case in Genesis when people came together to build a tower to make a name for themselves. And it's the case today. We so often miss the fact that Christ is the only one who can bring us true joy. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 11 as he begins his message, The Tower of Babel. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis in chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, and we're studying this book of the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And in the progression of that series, we're going to move into chapter 11. And before we go ahead and read the text that we're going to be treating, Genesis chapter 11 and verses 1 through 9, this message title is The Tower of Babel. But before we go ahead and read that text of scripture, I want to take some time to set this up for you. If you'll take notice, notice here, the 10th and 11th chapter of the book of Genesis are mostly composed of genealogies and of nations and peoples, and they're designed to link the story of Noah and the flood, which is contained and recorded for us in chapter 6 through 9, and if you've been around now for the last couple of weeks, we've, we've gone through that study and story in great length and in detail. So in chapter 6 through 9, we have this study of God judging the earth, preserving Noah and his family there in the ark, right? And so the 10th and 11th chapters here in the book of Genesis, really the intention by the writer is to connect the story of the flood or the story of Noah and the flood, chapter 6 through 9, with the story of Abraham, the father of the faith, 
and his descendants, which fills, if you think about it, the remainder of the book of Genesis, because it's really all about, it all began with Abraham, right? God made that covenant with Abraham. And from going forward, beginning then in the latter part of chapter 11, we are introduced to Abraham, and then going forward, it all has to do with Abraham's descendants. Now, notice the genealogies begin with Noah's three sons. Chapter 10 and verse 1, we're introduced to Shem, Ham, and Japheth once again. And then move eventually to Terah, from which Abraham is born. Notice in chapter 11, in verse 26, it says, Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abraham. And so we're tracing the genealogy. So do you see the connection between the two? These two chapters, chapters 10 and 11, the intention of the writer is to connect Noah and the story of the flood with the birth of Abraham and going forward through the remainder of the book of Genesis, his descendants. Now, at two different points, Here in chapters 10 and 11, there are these parentheses dealing with the founding of the first world empire under a fellow who we're about to be introduced, whose name was Nimrod. Okay, so with that said, let's jump into our text in chapter 10. Let's go to chapter 10, one of those parentheses texts. In chapter 10 and verses 8 through 10. And here we are introduced to Nimrod. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And then you have these other cities that are mentioned here also in verse 10 that I'm not even going to try to pronounce because I know that I'm going to mess them up. And so we are first then introduced to the founding father of the first world empire, that is this individual whose name was Nimrod. Okay, now, what else do we know about Nimrod? Well, let's jump into our text now, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And that area would have been known as and referred to Babylonia. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all of the earth, and they ceased building the city. 
Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Okay, now let's go back to Nimrod, who is just one in our cast of characters here in our study. We are told concerning him here in beginning in chapter 10 that Nimrod was someone who established cities, built a kingdom. He was a mighty hunter and a warrior. And these are the variety of different ways that he's recommended to us here in the scriptures. But I got to tell you something. All of these descriptions are actually misleading. You see, his prey wasn't animals, as, you know, at first glance you would think that that's what the verse is referring to here. But his prey was actually men and women. You see, Nimrod was someone who possessed an inordinate desire to rule over men and women. And history and folklore bear this out to be true. You see, it was through Nimrod's ability to fight and to kill and to rule ruthlessly that his kingdom of the Euphrates Valley city-states, chapter 10 and verse 10, was consolidated. This is the thing that was on his heart. He was an arrogant tyrant. He was defiant before God. And he sought to do the things that he had in his heart to do without God. It was his intention to eliminate God altogether. And the homeland of his empire was this place referred to as Babel. And so chapter 10 speaks of his exploits, right? We read that text of scripture. While chapter 11 speaks of his attempt to build the city of Babylon. And its central feature would be what? The great tower known as the Tower of Babel. And this was all about an attempt to build a civilization without God. Now, in this account of building Babylon, we're told the world at this time had one common language. Notice back in chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. The reason why was up until this point, all of the individuals that were, that were on the face of the earth were all descendants of Noah. It was only Noah and his, the members of his immediate family that was preserved during the flood as God judged the earth, right? So they were all descendants of Noah, thus they all spoke the same language. Now the Bible also tells us that part of the world's people moved eastward and settled in the plain of Shinar, or as I've already mentioned, known also as Babylonia. And so far, so good. All of what had taken place up until this point, right, was all a part of God's plan, was all in the center of God's will. Remember, after Noah and his family had exited the ark after the flood and the waters had resided, he made once again his covenant with him and then instructed them in chapter 9, and we've already gone over this, but in chapter 9, if you just quickly turn back to chapter 9 and verse 1, God then instructs Noah and his family 
So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So he's getting back to his original plan. This was the same command that he gave to Adam and Eve, right, in, in the garden. And so they were to replenish the earth, that is the whole earth, and not one central location. You see, therein lies the problem with this fellow, Nimrod. So anyway, up until this point, so far, so good. They're absolutely in compliance with God's command. But the settlements of Shinar could be considered a partial fulfillment of that command because they're moving eastward. They're going in the direction that God wanted them to go, doing what God wanted them to accomplish. But yet, as we read on here, we find the goal of this settlement was all about defying God's command. You see, Babylon was all about and was an attempt to resist any further scattering of the people over the earth. They just wanted to live in that central location. They didn't want to move out from there and repopulate the entire earth. So Babylon was an attempt to resist any further scattering of the people over the earth as God had commanded Noah and his family. You see, Nimrod wanted to create a city where the achievements of a united people would be centralized. Now, notice, go back to chapter 11 here in verses 3 and 4. Notice the phrases there or the actual invitations. If you're reading out of the King James, it says, go to. Or if you're reading out of a revised version, it would say, come. Those are the different ways that they're translated. So go to or come. And then it goes on to declare in verse 4, let us make us a name. We don't want to be scattered. That's the idea here. And so the invitation gone out to participate in this undertaking and thus rebel against God. So therefore, what do we have here? Well, you have, number one, a vision for the city. Secondly, you have a desire for a name, and then thirdly, a plan for a new religion. You say, religion, what are you talking about? You know, where do you get that from? Well, you see, let me tell you something. Nimrod was a really shrewd character, and he acknowledged and recognized that what was missing in getting the people what he wanted them to do, what was missing was a new religion. Because Nimrod knew that the people needed a religious motivation strong enough to overcome the knowledge that they did possess, that is, that God had commanded them to scatter. So therefore, it was within his heart. He was at least he was very shrewd, he was very smart, and he knew the one thing that would be missing, right, is a newfound religion to counteract what God had instructed them to do. And thus, this is where the tower comes in, the Tower of Babel. Now, notice in verse 4, it says, whose top may reach into the heavens. Now, this statement is not to be applied to its height alone, but rather denotes a place of worship. This is where the people were to come as they established this new religion. This is where they were to come to worship their gods. This tower was to satisfy 
an innate need to worship. And by the way, I believe that God innately places within each and every one of us an innate desire to worship him, right? I mean, for me, that was the catalyst. I knew, you know, to seek after God, to continue after God. I knew that there was a God. You know, I've raised here on the East Coast and, you know, traveled a bunch of different roads down a bunch of different corridors and, you know, seeking after truth. And my pursuit and my experience brought me through Eastern thought and mysticism and drugs and LSD and, you know, all kinds of different experiences and stuff. And, and God had to move me out to the West Coast to introduce me to Christ. Otherwise, believe me, I would have never found Christ. Well, I guess I could have, you know, but God, I guess, thought otherwise. And he actually brought me out to the West Coast, out to California to, to find Christ. And it was there where he moved all kinds of different Christian people across my path, what I would refer to as these divine setups. Because back here on the East Coast, the things that I was involved in, I would have never found Christ. All of the crazy things and pursuits that I was engaged and involved in. So anyway, this is where, so there's this innate desire within us. And I knew that there was a God, but I, I just, I, I never felt as if I could connect with him, that I could actually know him. And I was raised in a certain denomination and religion, but still there was this void within my life. And so the pursuit, and again, like I mentioned before, I, I traveled a bunch of different corridors and down a bunch of different roads, but I only came up empty time and time again. But the catalyst behind that was this innate desire that God had placed within me. It's the same innate desire that God has placed within you. There's always going to be a hole. There's always going to be something missing, which will never be filled until you come into a meaningful relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. There'll always be something missing in your life. You can be sure of that. You'll never feel complete. You'll never feel satisfied, you know? It's only until you come to that meaningful relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. So anyway, this tower was to satisfy, it was to be erected to satisfy an innate need to worship. And it was to be dedicated not to God, the Father, the Creator, but rather dedicated to heaven and its angelic host. And let us take note of the fact, and you probably are aware of this, that the Bible traces all false religions back to Babylon. You see, the essential identity of the various gods and goddesses of Rome, Greece, India, Egypt, and other nations with the original pantheon of the Babylonians is well established. All of their buildings, all of their relics all of which are nothing more than substitutes and counterfeits for the real thing. Now, Nimrod himself, I don't know if you knew this or not, was later deified as the chief god of Babylon. In fact, he was known as Marduk of Babylon, and that's the way that they would refer to him. He actually sought to deify himself, or the people did at least. And so should we be surprised by any of this? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans in chapter 1 and verse 23, after knowing God, you know, after God revealing himself to us and our knowing him, 
when we reject him, as Nimrod and the people at this particular time sought to eliminate God from their understanding, this is the sum total and result of that. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And this is always the case. The citizens of Babylon have rejected the knowledge of the true and the living God, and therefore we should expect the creation of a false religion as a part of their dubious cultural achievements. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5, and this is all being played out during the seven years of tribulation, but this will be a counterfeit substitution some kind of a church organization. It'll be a worldwide church, a one-world religion that will exist during the seven years of tribulation, just prior to Christ coming back a second time. And it's referred to as Babylon the harlot. You're familiar with that, right? Revelation chapter 17. And in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. The Bible tells us that all men and women have drunken of her wine, have entered into fornication with her. That is spiritual fornication. They've been seduced by this woman, this one world religion that will exist during the seven years of tribulation, during the latter time. Listen, folks, we're moving in that direction even now. And it'll have an intoxicating effect upon the masses of people, you see. And a little later on, well, someone who we are also introduced to during the seven years of tribulation will come forward and will control this one world church. And it'll be none other than the Antichrist. Remember, the image will be set up in the rebuilt temple in that day. And that inanimate object will be able to, to speak and all men and women will bow down and worship it. And it's going to be a crazy time. But again, it's interesting that it is referred to as the mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, prostitution. Men and women enter into, if you will, spiritual prostitution with this organization, this one world church that will exist during the seven years of tribulation. And you can be sure, folks, the devil was behind this effort that we're reading about here in the book of Genesis, as well as what will be taking place in the last days that we've just referenced here in Revelation chapter 17. The formation of a non-biblical religion. You see, if you think about it, back then, under Nimrod, this was in an attempt to direct the worship of the human race to the devil and those former angels who rebelled against God and now had become demons. In my father's house There's a place for me In my father's house Where I long to be Oh my When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, 
We see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. My heart not be troubled.